everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthazor, and welcome to this week's weekly recap right before the upcoming football game. We're kind of back into our swing of things, you know, we're doing the multiple episodes a week thing, but we're just going to dive straight into this episode. We have a little bit of soccer to cover a little bit of volleyball, and then, of course, we're going to give our brief-ish thoughts on the depth chart because, you know, a lot of people have sort of talked about it already, so we're just going to give our shorter thoughts about it. But let's just go ahead and start with the K-State soccer match up against Vanderbilt. This was K-State's first true loss on the year. It was a 1-0 loss in Vanderbilt, and it was a game that ultimately came down to the wire. But, you know, it's... You never want to lose ever, but you know it. Sometimes it's understandable; other times, it's not. But I think this is one of the times where it's understandable. Plus, we knew that these losses were going to come eventually. Yeah, and it was a pretty closely contested game, at least from what we can tell. Yeah. Um, we don't have SEC Network yeah. Plus, so. Yeah, so we weren't able to watch, but we were able to generally keep up with the stats that were going on. The only goal that was conceded was on a penalty uh, that came off of a yellow card from Matty Weichel, uh, which uh, seemed to be an ill-advised uh, uh, foul in the box. Well, I imagine any foul in the box is ill-advised because yeah. <laughs> the result is you, you give up a, a penalty. So it was... Unfortunate that it had to end that way. K-State still got plenty of shots on goal. A few very, very close to going in. Uh, but unfortunately, Vanderbilt was just able to find the back of a net on an easy one. And K-State just wasn't able to quite put it together and get a shot into the back of the net. Uh, but they played well on the road against an SEC opponent. Uh, first goal conceded, I believe, in a little bit. It's um, the first ma- goal since Green Bay, I think. Yeah, so it's... And been a while since we've conceded a goal, so that that was due to happen. And even then, that was a, a goal from a penalty kick, which is a lot different than pretty much any other type of goal. Uh, it's much easier. Yeah. Uh, so, a tough result for KSA on the road, especially holding them for so long. Uh, but it was, a loss was bound to come at some point. Yeah, I I think that's sort of my stance on it. And it's not like this game was poorly played or we got like purely outmatched. It's just we got unlucky with a penalty kick, which it's unlucky. Even a shame, and it could have happened to anybody. But I, I'm, I'm not losing sleep over this loss. <clears throat> but the next match for your Kansas State Soccer Cats is this Sunday up against Nebraska, part of a double header between sports. <laughs> with Nebraska. We'll talk about the second sport we'll be facing them in a little bit later. Then, of course, next Thursday, they're going to be playing Memphis. Both of these will be in beautiful Manhattan, Kansas. So if you're not doing anything anything else on that Sunday, feel free to drop by. Support the Soccer Cats and the Volley Cats for their match as well. Yeah, and that's part of an extended uh, four-game homestand from mm-hmm. September 3rd through September 14th. So plenty of opportunities to get out and see the soccer team. Including Soctoberfest against Cincinnati on September 14th. I don't know what that means, but it's probably really fun. <laughs> I would also imagine it's it's pretty fun. But like we said, we spent a little bit of time on soccer, but we didn't see the the match, so can't really comment a lot. Now we can move on to volleyball and the tournament that the volleyball team played 
up in the Pacific Northwest, the Hotel Vance Rose City Showdown. What a name. And this was a clean sweep in favor of your Kansas State Wildcats in terms of victories. And only one of the victories was not a clean sweep in and of itself. And that was the first match up against Portland State. It was a 3-1 Wildcat victory. And a couple of notable leaders here in kills, Liz Grigorski and Aaliyah Carter both tied in kills with 10. Cindy Bolding coming in third with 7. In terms of aces, Liz Grigorski again with 2. Uh, Izzy Szczewski? Szczewski. Szczewski. I love Polish names. Also with two, and Sydney Bolding with one. Blocks, Sydney Bolding with six. Katie Fernholtz with six. Izzy Szolczewski. I'm just going to point to you now every All time right. I have to Izzy say Izzy Szolczewski had five blocks. <laughs> and Izzy Szolczewski had 41, 41 assists. <laughs> so uh, really great job as the uh, setter there in the middle. Uh, and then just a few, um, not even worth mentioning, for Mackenzie Morris and Liz Grigorski because it was... Really, Sholshevsky doing everything. And then Sholshevsky again with 22 digs, Mackenzie Morris 20, and Aaliyah Carter with 10. Yeah. In terms of just team comparisons, like points obviously are pretty close. Kills, actually, Portland State had the advantage, which is interesting. K-State had the advantage in aces 5-4. In terms of blocks, K-State really <laughs> blew them out, and that's probably where the difference came in. 13-5 to in favor of your Kansas State Wildcats. Then Portland State actually had the advantage in assists and digs. But this is, I would say that this is a pretty encouraging first result, especially given, you know, it's a new coaching staff and a lot of excitement going into the year with not only a new staff, but also a new arena going in. But you can go a little bit more into the individual attack stats and things like that. Yeah, uh, most efficient on the day with a decently high number um, of attacks was probably Katie Fernholz, who had seven kills on 13 attempts, just two errors. Uh, Leah Carter had 48 attack attempts, just 10 kills, uh, and six errors, uh, but then had, did have 10 digs, so being pretty versatile there, uh, pretty valuable. Uh, Sholczewski had three kills and five attempts, no errors there, so really solid game all around for her. Sydney Bolding, seven kills on 16 attempts. Uh, those are kind of the, the major highlights. K-State had a, a 22 uh, block assists um, and generally was dominant in that regard. And another way that they succeeded was also just forcing Portland State into errors. Uh, Portland State had significantly more errors. I believe they had 30 in this game uh, in attack errors. Uh, so, yeah, they um, did have 30. Um, just not the best day that you would want out of your uh, attacking side. But all in all, um, K-State, outside of the first set, was pretty firmly in control of this game, and that's kind of how it would remain for the rest of the uh, um, tournament. It, that first set more was an anomaly than anything yeah. uh, in hindsight. Uh, yeah. Which, speaking of the next games, the next match was up against San Diego State, and this was a 3-0 to zero pretty dominant wildcat victory 25 to 14 in the first set 25 to 13 in the second the last set got a little competitive 27 to 25 but that may have just been them fighting for pride at that point but there's still a lot of notable notable stat lines here Aaliyah Carter leading kills with 14 Anaya Clinton with 10 Shaley Myers with 9 
three aces from Carter, two from Cindy Bolding, one from Liz Grigorski, uh, two blocks from Cindy Bolding, two from Shaley Myers. One from Izzy Sholsteski. You can take over. All right. And then uh, 36 um, sets for Izzy Sholsteski. Uh, Mackenzie Morris with four. Uh, then Diggs. Mackenzie Morris led the way with 14. Uh, I believe she recently crossed a significant milestone with Diggs. I can't remember if it's like 1,000 or 2,000. Uh, but um, regardless, uh, she just crossed a pretty significant uh, dig milestone. Izzy Sholsteski, uh, eight um, digs. And Aaliyah Carter with three. Um, but yeah, this was a pretty dominant game. K-State hit 532 in this game, which is absolutely nuts. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I, that, that's one of the highest hitting percentages I've ever seen. Um, also, San Diego State in that second set with one of the lowest hitting percentages I've ever seen. Uh, hitting uh, 0.04. <laughs> um, that's tough. Yeah, going six kills on 25 attempts with five errors. Uh, that is really unfortunate. Uh, but we can get into the individual stats now uh but yeah really a pretty dominant victory for the most part uh Aaliyah carter had a fantastic day uh here 24 attack attempts led to 14 kills and two uh errors just two errors anaya clinton 14 attack attempts 10 kills and then two errors and shaley myers 14 attack attempts nine kills zero errors uh so really impressive stuff there katie fernholes seven kills on eight attempts Sydney Bolding, five kills on nine attempts. A really, really, really impressive uh, all around. Aaliyah Carter, especially, having an excellent day uh, with 14 kills, hitting 500. Uh, not much to complain about here at all. Uh, Aaliyah Carter added three service aces as well, um, and then also three digs. So, really fantastic, fantastic day for Aaliyah Carter. Uh, and we were able to rotate in a few others as well. Ava Legrand and Brenna Schmidt uh, were both able to get into a set. And uh, all in all, they, this was a really excellent performance from uh, K-State. A pretty dominant performance against a team that they should dominate against. Yeah. And the last game of the tournament was up against Cal State Fullerton, which, if that sounds familiar, the baseball team has played them a few times. And this, you remember how tough the last game was for the opponent? This one might be worse. It was a 3-0 Wildcat victory. The sets went 25-7, to owie, 25-21, to respectable, 25-13, to <laughs> Yeah, 25-7 is one of the biggest margins I've ever seen for K-State in volleyball um, against any opponent. Uh, so that's really really impressive they went the entire first set without committing an attack error as well uh they hit four four fifty five there um and then cal state fullerton they had a negative hitting percentage in two of their three sets uh, including a minus 0.114 uh in the first set uh just absolutely abysmal uh clearly completely outmatched in every measurable way uh um fullerton was uh, in, in this match, uh, Grigorski led the way in kills with 12. Bolding had 8. Myers had 8 as well. Grigorski again had 2 aces. Shorsevsky had 2, and Bolding had 1. Uh, then Bolding with 8 blocks. Carter with 3. Nia Clinton with 3 as well. And Izzy Shorsevsky again had 24 assists. Kenzie Morris had 6. Ava Legrand had 3. And then Diggs 
uh, Shostakovsky again, leading with eight. Mackenzie Morris tied with eight, and then Olivia Carter had six. So Izzy Shostakovsky, the Oregon State transfer, really making her presence known early here. She also went uh, three for three on attacks. So not attacking much, but was efficient. Added two aces. Uh, so really, really nice there. And Grigorski was 12 for 33 with just three errors uh, going down the list. Shaylee Myers, 8 for 12, no errors at all. Um, Aaliyah Carter only played in two sets. Uh, looks like we were uh, really emptying the bench here and uh, trying to get more people in and rotate as much as possible. Uh, so it's, it's tough to really take too much from here. Uh, Bolding, of course, had a ton of blocks and... I'm not really sure what else to say other than just complete domination. The only thing I'm really noticing is that from all of these games, Lauren Hinkle did not play, uh, which uh, she's normally our setter. Uh, so Shostesky, um kind of pulling double duty as a defender uh, and then also getting in as a uh, setter. Uh, pretty, really, really impressive uh, for Shostesky wearing several different hats yeah. uh, in uh, this. But K-State, again, uh, sweeps... They, get, they come out of the tournament winning, uh, how many sets? Eight sets in a row? Eight sets in a row. Uh, or nine sets. Nine sets in a row. Because, mm-hmm. Well, they would have had to win three to win the first one. Oh, yeah, that's right. No, I did I did that. I made the exact same mistake you did. Where Wait, which set did they lose? The very first one. Oh, so yeah, they did win nine in a row. <laughs> yeah. You're right. I, I did the exact same mistake that you made. Math is not our strong suit. No, it's not. Uh, nah, that's why we're still in school. <laughs> yeah, so. exactly. Um, but yeah... Opening opening tournament series sweep, good. You cannot complain about that. I you could, but it's a I wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> but the next match for your Kansas State Volley Cats is up against Omaha. We will actually be in attendance. We will. Uh, just our first game, or it's the first game yeah. in the new arena. Yep. I I was able to get a little bit of time in the arena. When they scrimmaged there uh, earlier uh, in the summer, just a few weeks ago, super, super nice. They didn't have the official court in in the middle, so that'll be cool to see. I'm interested to see kind of some of the pregame stuff they do, uh, if they're able to upgrade some of that experience. Uh, But I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I've heard that this game is close to a sellout. Uh, It's 3,000 capacity. So, uh, if you want to go, get a ticket while you can, because they're going to be hard to come by. Uh, but I think a lot of people are really excited to see this match on Friday. I am. I am, too. And then the Sunday match, it's up against Nebraska. <laughs> yeah, well, that's still going to be a big match for K-State Volleyball. Uh, that is sold out, and there are many measures taken to make sure it would not get stuffed with Nebraska fans. Uh, so they wouldn't buy out all the tickets. So I think pretty much every ticket was sold to an Ahern Fund member or to a season ticket holder. So it should be mostly, if not entirely, K-State fans uh, that are there. Uh, so at least there will be home court advantage. It'll be a tough task for K-State, but just a couple of years ago, K-State did uh, give Nebraska a really tough fight uh, when they were also ranked this high. Of course, Nebraska riding a lot of momentum right now. They just had the highest attended women's sporting event in the history of the entire world. <laughs> and yeah. So it's going to be tough sledding uh, for K-State Volleyball, but it's an awesome opportunity to 
learn a lot early in the season and maybe give Nebraska a run for their money. Uh, I think you take a set here and look uh, conscious the rest of the time, that's pretty solid, I think. I would take that. Yeah. But of course, you're still playing to win. I think Jason Mansfield will be as well. Uh, and you always want to beat Nebraska. So Always. But that is it for volleyball. But with that out of the way, before we get into the depth chart, here is a quick word from today's sponsor. And welcome back to the Aggie Valley Cats podcast, where we're going to be briefly discussing the K-State depth chart. Just sort of going through position by position, saying if we're surprised, because we've already given our our thoughts on the players themselves, so we'll just kind of go through the the two line here, tell you if we're surprised by anything. Uh, Well, we're taking it as X receiver. Keegan Johnson, Xavier Lloyd, no surprise. Not at all, not at all. Love tackle, KT Leviston and Andrew Langang, not at all. I was a little surprised to see Langang as the backup. I thought it might be John Pastore, but it's not a shock, no. I would say. I wouldn't say it's surprising by any means. I'd say it's more surprising that Langang is listed twice because left guard is Cooper Beebe and Andrew Langang. Yeah, that I think is definitely a bigger surprise than Langang being listed at left tackle is the fact that he got listed twice, hmm. uh, which I guess is a credit to Langang. And we, we know he's going to be a really good player uh, for K-State, but still a bit surprising to see him listed twice instead of maybe seeing Pastore. Yeah. Center, Hayden Gillum, Sam Hecht. Sam Hecht is the surprise here. Uh, not really a big surprise, it's just sort of, uh, wow, yeah. center, huh? Yeah, his name's been getting a lot of run uh, so far in camp. Uh, he's been brought up a ton um, as a former walk-on, or I think as a current walk-on, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of the coaches are really high on Sam Hex, so he might be the next walk-on uh, to earn a scholarship. That's center. Yeah, So, which would continue the trend. Yeah. So. The right guard is interesting because it's Hadley Panzer or Taylor Poitier. I thought it would just be Taylor Poitier, especially given all the hype that he's gotten for the past few years. I figured there would be an or, but I figured uh, Poitier would be listed first. first. I, I was a little surprised to see Panzer uh, get listed ahead of him. I imagine that we see plenty of both because it does sound like they want to rotate the offensive line a lot, uh, which is definitely a little strange because almost nobody does that. Yeah. But I guess we're, our logic is that we have enough good offensive linemen that it's worth getting more guys in, which I will let them experiment that as with that as they will. They've had the right answers the last few years. So it's uh, I have no issue with that. Yeah, I don't have an issue with it either. I just thought it was interesting. Right tackle, because Christian Duffy is out with injury, it'll be Carver Willis or Drake Beckwith. Which, Beckwith surprises me because you and I both viewed him as a guard. I, I viewed him as a guard. I, I, will, I will go on record saying that I he came off as a tackle to me. Um, but I'm still shocked to see him listed. Yeah, I, I did not think that he would be listed this quickly. Um, I think we both liked his film uh, more than we expected to when we initially did his film evaluation last year. Um, but despite us both being su- pleasantly surprised by Drake Beckwith, definitely surprising to see him get onto the two deep. That doesn't necessarily mean we'll see him. I imagine we kick out uh, BB before we see Beckwith take mm-hmm. snaps. Um, but And then also congrats to Carver Willis. He has been around for a while. He's been through some difficulties and uh, a lot of strife uh, with this team. 
Uh, got some run as a true freshman at left tackle, uh, which COVID year. yeah, that, that spoke to the depth of that position. Uh, so Carver's come a long way, it seems. I'm really excited to see uh, the hard work pay dividends for him. Yeah. Tight end, this one's just straight up fake. It's a lie. Because uh, it says Will Swanson or Garrett Oakley. The number one tight end is Ben Sinnott, even though he's listed at fullback. They're keeping him at fullback for all Big 12 purposes. He's a tight end. So tight end two is Will Swanson or Garrett Oakley. I imagine Swanson's probably the blocker, Oakley the receiver. And then I guess tight end three at this point would be Braden Lofton. Yeah. Which uh, Oakley, I'm happy that he's earned that or next to his name. Uh, you and I were both um, huge Garrett Oakley fans. Um, out of high school, I think he cracked maybe both of our top fives in recruiting. I think he was, at least was in mine. He was in yours. I think he was like number seven for me. Yeah, but we both thought very highly of him mm-hmm. out of high school, and uh, happy to see him uh, showing up, showing up earlier than I think we thought. Even though we both were very high on him, uh, but he's put on weight. He's up to two thirty now, and uh, I think that he could make an impact as a receiver not a huge one because Ben Sennett and Swanson are ahead of him mm-hmm. but I still think that we'll see him on the field this year yeah fun fact all three of the tight ends listed on the tight end depth charter from Nebraska that's a fun fact I, I didn't even uh, recognize that <laughs> thank you Ace no problem we're gonna skip that one for a minute and uh, come back to it later Ben Sennett and Christian Moore no surprise yeah. DJ Giddens or Treshawn Ward, again, no real surprise there. Tony mm-hmm. Frias, number three. Mm-hmm. I imagine Joe Jackson's right on his heels. Yeah. That That's the only thing that was even worth considering, I think, at running back was would it be, would Joe Jackson fully show out in camp to become that three? Or would it just be Tony Frias? I'm not, I wouldn't have been shocked by either, by either outcome, but it was worth considering. Uh, but it's uh, been alleged that Tony Frias had a really, really good camp. Uh, so hopefully he can uh, get some redemption this year. Yep. Then I'd imagine this is slot wide receiver, Phillip Brooks, Shane Porter, or Jace Brown. So we can kind of puff our chests out a little bit on this, saying that Jace Brown was pretty close to a finished product for what he was going to be, and if he if he could contribute early, though he wasn't going to be the insane high like highest upside player Maple has the Zoomies, but he was going to be a consistent force, and him showing up this early on the depth chart I think verifies that. Yeah, uh, even though I doubt we see him play meaningful snaps, Probably. the fact that he's on the depth chart does say something. Uh, and of course, uh, it is surprising to see Shane Porter there. I think it's because Seth Porter is probably not going to be full go, mm-hmm. but Shane Porter making it on was kind of surprising it was kind of a, a sticker shock when i first read the depth chart i was like what is he doing here but it, but it made a bit more sense knowing that uh seth is probably just going to focus on special teams for a bit um but yeah jace brown making it on good for him as a true freshman uh that's that's pretty exciting and uh, hopefully we get to see a bit of him if uh there is a, a good game for the offense uh, knock on wood but we'll see Yep, and then a Z receiver, it's RJ Garcia or Jaden Jackson. This was one of the disputed positions. I did kind of, I, I did project RJ to win the job, but I also kind of expected it to be an or. Yeah, I, I think it is surprising that this isn't an or. I think I might have gone on record at one point saying I thought Jaden Jackson would win the job, 
which uh, of course did not age well. Apparently, RJ Garcia had an unbelievable camp. Oh, don't worry. That's not the only time that something is going to age poorly on this. Oh, we we have plenty of things age poorly here. One in particular that I, I think we're uh, we're going to have trouble living down for a while. But that, that's part of the game. You throw a lot of takes out, you're going to miss. You know, not not every take is a Will Howard take. So <laughs> some yeah. of them are Jacob Parrish's, and some of them are even worse. But RJ Garcia, happy for him to get into the starting lineup. I hope to see a lot of Jaden Jackson still because I do think he has a lot of ability. Uh, so I'd like to see him get run. I imagine he's going to be first receiver off the bench. Probably. I imagine he subs in at basically all three positions. So if I were to realistically make the receiver depth chart, it'd probably be Keegan Johnson, Philip Brooks, RJ Garcia. Jaden Jackson, Xavier Lloyd, Shane Porter, and then Jace Brown. I think that is exactly what I would do. If if you were listening, if you were listing it like you would in like NCAA football, yeah, or like Madden, yeah, yeah, where it's like you just get a list. Uh, I think that's the list I'd put in. Yeah. So no really big surprises on offense. Nothing horribly surprising. Um, all right, defense. Here we go. <laughs> How do we want to talk about quarterback? Oh right, yeah, yeah. I actually did forget about that. Uh, Will Howard's the number one quarterback, but uh, QB2 is interesting because it is Jake Rubley or Avery Johnson. Yeah, that that mm. was particularly interesting, I thought. Uh, to me, that probably signals that we're going to be seeing some Avery, and to me, that also says that Avery has been making uh, like a super, supersonic... Things progress uh, throughout camp which I, I think is awesome uh, I'm hoping that we get to see him uh, I know the coaching staff has said that they don't have a plan for backup that I think that's a bold-faced lie yeah I think that's a lie and I don't mind I'm totally fine with Chris Kleiman just lying sometimes <laughs> <laughs> Scott Wildcat said he thinks he should do it more I think I agree with Scott uh, where, where Kleiman could probably lie a little bit more and I, I'd be just fine with that yeah I don't think I'd mind it but yeah, I think that was probably the biggest surprise was seeing the or with Avery Johnson and Jake Rubley. Yeah, yeah, that that was a little shocking. That's a future discussion point for mm-hmm. after the game. But now moving on to the defense, the first group of defensive ends is Khalid Duke and Nate Matlick. I thought Nate Matlick will move to the other just to keep consistency. The other DN spot is Brendan Mott and Cody Stuffelbean. Brendan Mott's listed on the one line and not Nate Matlick. And... I'm thinking, the way I'm going to, I think of this is that if I had to guess, Matlick will probably be used more as a situational pass rusher, and Mott will be the more every down player, which technically makes Mott the starter, and it's not because Mott can't rush the passer, it's because his style is not quite as complimentary to Khalid Duke as Nate Matlick says. So I would sort of look at it as that first group of defensive ends that's listed, Duke and Matlick, would be your pass rushers. And the second group of defensive end, which is Mott and Stufflebean, will be your more first, second down players. Yeah, I think I'm with you there. I did kind of think going into the depth chart that we would see a Brendan Mott or Nate Matlick on one side of the ball, and then Stufflebean behind one of those guys, and then another backup, like maybe a, a GD OBA or OBI or, uh, or somebody else, maybe. Um, but instead we get them separated, but I still think we effectively have like three starters at the defensive end when you split up the snaps. Yeah. Uh, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yep. 
Defensive tackle was Damian Ilalio or, Jav- or Javon Banks, which means that Uso might be out. Kleiman did say during the presser that he was practicing ahead of schedule. I'm not sure that I would put money on him playing. So it would be Damian Ilalio or Javon Banks. I think that's probably a true 50-50. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. They do play different roles. Damian Ilalio is probably going to be a better run stopper. Javon Banks uh, has been said to have more speed. Uh, maybe a better pass rushing uh, defensive tackle, kind of like D. Hence yeah. uh, was used in the past uh, to a, a pretty effective degree. Uh, so if we can uh, see those two team up pretty well, I imagine Uso could go in limited amounts if there's like an emergency. Yeah, but I don't think they want to play him very much. Yeah, and I don't blame them. Let him be healthy for the later games. All right, Sam linebacker, Des Purnell on the one line, and then Toby Osinsanmi on the second line. Um, this might be our favorite spot, or at least one of the most exciting spots, quietly, I think. Yeah, I think quietly this may... Ooh, Will linebacker's looking good on the one and two line, though. Yeah, it is, but I think that this one maybe is exciting for... Different reasons. For different reasons. Yeah. Des Purnell apparently has had a, been a rock star in camp, and he looked pretty solid towards the back end of last year. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm excited to see Des, you know, fully develop. The thought of I, I warm I've warmed up to the idea of Toby Osinsanmi at Sam because initially I wanted him at Will because I thought the range would be better because he was basically a safety coming in, but he's put on weight. He's 233 now. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah, no, no, no. I'm warming up to the idea of him being a Sam linebacker, especially just seeing him outspeed poor defensive, like offensive tackles who don't deserve it. Yeah, um, Desmond Purnell. Yeah, there's been an unbelievable amount of hype around him. Chris Kleiman was really talking him up this week, kind of to an unusual amount. Like, yeah. I, I, we haven't heard Kleiman talk about guys that highly that much. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to seeing what Des Purnell does. I'm a, another under-the-radar guy. Uh, he was kind of a late add as a recruit. I think he was like a low-end three-star. Like, Was kind of just like a throwaway recruit, I think, in the minds of most people. Yeah. Uh, but he's made the switch from safety to Sam and uh, taken that in stride. And yeah, based off what we saw last year, I'm expecting a lot from him this year. And I think he's geared to live up to that and then of course toby you and i have loved toby osinsami from the moment we watched his film he was our number one recruit both of ours yeah yeah, that was a consensus number one pick which i think we've had consensus both times uh but yes we have toby o uh we're really looking forward to seeing what you can do we've been kind of on the train of uh toby o kind of getting that elijah lee jet package (laughs) sort of deal uh, for several months now, and I think that's probably what we're going to see and maybe some situational uh, pass coverage uh, just to get his feet wet at least. Um, but I'm excited to see Tobio on a football field because he is just an athletic monster, and I think he's, especially against SEMO, just going to overwhelm some people. Poor offensive tackles who don't deserve it. Moving on to middle linebacker, there are three names listed here. That's Daniel Green, Jake Clifton, and Austin Romaine. Daniel Green practiced a little earlier, but he may be another someone who's on a snap count because of injury. Jake Clifton on the two-line, I'm not surprised at all. Austin Romaine is another big surprise, but not the biggest surprise on this depth chart. I've been staring at it the entire time. (laughs) (laughs) We'll, We'll talk about it in a minute. 
but no real surprises there. No. Um, I will say I did have a source that I trust say that they are not 100% sure if Daniel Green does play uh, this week um, and that it might be a bit. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go up in the air on that because the coaches have seemed pretty confident about uh, Deuce Green playing. I imagine what's probably end up happening is it'll be somewhere in between where he's just kind of on a snap count and just not play as much. And Clifton probably takes close to starter snaps, which is totally fine by me because uh, Jake Clifton was excellent last year uh, as a true freshman. And he can play every position as well at linebacker. He's been taking snaps everywhere. And we saw some of that last year too with his positional versatility. And Austin Romaine is another huge miss for us. Uh, we, okay, being fair. We had to go off of his junior film because he didn't put a senior highlight tape out. That is true. That is true. And his junior tape was not very good. Yeah. So uh, we, we we still did miss. Uh, we can maybe justify it some. We can't justify the other one. No, the other one, is, it's just a straight-up miss, uh, I think. And uh, but well, we, we have the same reasons for missing that we did perish, but it doesn't make it less of a miss. Yeah. Uh, but Romain, he got a lot of run at Big 12 Media Days all the way back in June or July, whenever that was. And uh, maybe we see some of him against SEMO. Uh, nothing would surprise me at this point with how the depth chart has kind of panned out defensively. Yeah. Next is Will Linebacker, and that is Austin Moore, Lewisburg Lightning, or The Machine, depending on whatever you want to call him, at Will Linebacker. And then Asa Newsom or Bo Palmer at the two spot. Asa Newsom, the way that Kleiman made it seem is he's just too good to not play. Yeah, that, that, that I feel like that doesn't surprise us very no. much. Mm -mm. His film was electric. Um, he was an excellent athlete in football and in track. Uh, he's a really long athlete. He's got really long arms. He's super fast. I think he's an NFL player. Yeah. And... I, I I think Kleiman's he's kind of alluded to it where he's kind of reached the point where if a guy's good, they're just gonna play. And there's no point in like trying to hold on to red shirts when a lot of guys are leaving before four years anyways. Yeah, or so, transferring. Yeah, or transferring. So uh just play guys when you have them as early as possible. Uh Asa Newsom, um of course will not pass Austin Moore. Austin Moore's really solidified that will spot and he's gonna be just fine. Uh, the Asa Newsom, I'm looking forward to seeing him play. I am too. Quarterback, we did predict Jacob Parrish as being CB1, which ended up being true, and then Keenan Garber ended up being CB2 on that same line. No real surprises there. Uh, strong safety, we did kind of get safeties. We got strong safety right, but we flipped free and jack. Uh, Kobe Savage is your strong safety with Matt, Matthew Mashmeyer. Fine. Jack safety. All right. Let's get it out of the way. VJ Payne starting. We got that right. Jack Fabris or Trey Krause on the two line. If you had Jack Fabris in your depth chart you're lying. And, and your name is not John Fabris, you're his lying. dad, then you are lying. And you should feel bad. <laughs> but, but Jack Fabris, I think we both had him second to last. Yeah, he was in our recruiting rankings, so we're just going to put that out there now that we completely whiffed on Jack Fabris as an eval. His film was good, 
but not at safety, yes. which he was, which, which is what he was recruited as. He was like, a special teams guy. Yeah, he was a special teams demon, and seemed like he could be a good linebacker, but we weren't sure about the size. But I have heard from someone that has seen practice that he's a monster, uh, and one of the most coachable people that has ever lived on planet Earth. Yeah, and I think we see him. This year, I don't think Jack Fabris redshirts, which is something I never thought I would say in my entire life. But we've I, I've gone pretty much complete 180 on hoping that his ceiling would be Ross Elder. To this guy is going to play as a true freshman on a top 15 squad. So, how the turntables with Jack Fabris, uh, Trey Krause finding his way on there. There was some buzz about him being good out of high school. He's a um, still kind of uh, young. I think he's in year three now. Uh, so a little surprised to see him hit the depth chart, but it's not the most shocking thing, obviously. VJ Payne, that was expected. Yeah. Not a Jack. I think we thought he'd be free. Yeah, we thought he'd be free, not Jack. But yeah, I, I but, think because of the way they handle their safety rotations that the two may be kind of interchangeable. Yeah, but Jack at... Jack Faber said Jack safety. I guess we shouldn't be too surprised, no. but um, it's because of his name. It's yeah, it is because of. His, I think maybe they just thought it'd be funny, but <laughs> pretty, pretty unbelievable ascent for uh, Jack Fabris. Uh, I'm gonna be watching him very closely when he's on the field because I don't think I've ever been more intrigued in a career arc that's lasted maybe three months. So <laughs> Jacob Parrish for me. I guess that's true. Because I saw him get on the field exactly once, and I'm like, excuse me. <laughs> excuse me, he's not kick returning. Uh, just to show you, we're not perfect. No, not far from it. We, we're just 99% perfect. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> sure, let them, we can let them believe that. <laughs> no one believes that. But <laughs> now on to free safety. Uh, Marquez Siegel is the first free safety, followed by Jordan Wright or Colby McAllister. The most interesting part about this is Siegel was listed as a junior transfer, not a senior transfer. So he could come back next year. Yeah, he, he's not a senior. He was a sophomore last season. And so he's got this year, next year, and a COVID year available, uh, if he would like. So uh, he could be around for a while. Coaches seem to think he's going to head to the NFL, though, uh, after maybe a year or two. I believe it. Which is good for us. <laughs> that means we've had a really good player. That means that we have another guy in the NFL. So, can't complain about that. Jordan Bright, happy to see him uh, hit the depth chart. And Colby McAllister switched from corner to free safety. Uh, those in the know already knew, uh, but now it's public. And uh, Colby, um, maybe we, I bet we see a bit of him. Uh, only disappointment, I guess, from safety is uh, Daniel Cobbs didn't hit the depth chart. Yeah. Uh, but maybe we still see him. Uh, I, I guess it just remains to be seen. Yeah, I agree. Finally, for defense, Will Lee, the Wildcat, is your second CB1, or I guess CB2 in this case. I don't know how they roll that out. Um, and then Justice James will be your other quarterback. Uh, rest in peace, Darrell Jones. He's not dead. He's just not on the depth chart. Yeah, shout out to the uh, corner formerly known as Justice Clemens, who had a pretty incredible comeback, too. He had a pretty serious back injury, I think. Yeah. Uh, last year, he had to have surgery on it like in the first week. Yeah, so, he, so it's a, a really awesome to see him back on the depth chart. Uh, a lot of resiliency. Um, so he and Kobe Savage are the two remaining players from the Tyler trio, 
that signed with K-State um, over a year ago now. Yeah. So uh, now they're both in defensive backfield. I'm looking forward to seeing Justice James play. I am as well, especially because uh, you've heard that he brings a, let's just say, school spirit yeah. to the team. And then Will Lee, of course, is going to be incredible, I think. I, I'm very, very happy with our one and two corners. Will Lee, I think, is as close to replacing Julius Brents as you can get. Yeah. Uh, realistically. Yeah, because Julius Brents is an alien. He's not going to... You don't just get those. Yeah, they don't, they don't grow on trees. Yeah. Specialists, because specialists are people too. Field goal kicking belongs to Chris Tennant. And uh, second line is Leighton Simmering or Simon McLennan. Not low Leighton Simmering, as was incorrectly listed on the roster for like two years. Yeah, they had that guy's name misspelled for a while to the point where I think I actually started to believe it might be his name. Yeah. And it, it is not. It, it is Leighton, not low Leighton. Chris Tennant as the first kicker. I understand that that is going to create tension with some people. I urge them to hold judgment, if not just for their own sanity. Yeah, I'm. I don't know what to expect from Chris Tennant, other than we know he's got a strong leg, and we know he has experience. Mm-hmm. Those are two things that we know about him. I'm gonna wait and see uh, what happens. Um, with him kicking field goals and kicking extra points and just see how the ball looks coming off his foot because kicking, so much of it is mental. Uh, so let's just wait and see on Tenant. And uh, if it doesn't go well, then, you know, we've got guys behind him. We've got dudes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Holder is Jack Bloomer, Seth Porter. Seth Porter's a bit of a surprise, but Jack Bloomer's been holding for a long time now. Yeah, he's the guy, no questions asked. Uh, long snappers, Brandon Plattner or Mason Olgin? Olguin, 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 I don't know. Anywho. I'm sorry, long snapper. But yeah, Brandon, not a surprise. No. Uh, perhaps the biggest uh, um, super senior returner out of everybody. Uh, maybe the most important, I, I suppose I should say. I agree. Who else would steal the band instruments? But the plunter, plunter, punter will be Jack Bloomer. Uh, again, not a surprise. Simon McLannan will be the second punter. Neither a surprise. Kickoff specialist Chris Tennant, not a surprise. He has a missile for a leg. Simon McLannan, second as well. Kick returner. This is interesting. Philip Brooks and Keegan Johnson. Listen, I'm still holding out hope that Daryl Jones does something, or Darrell Jones does something. And Jacob Parrish was also an amazing returner in high school. I don't hate that lineup. I don't hate it at all, actually. I think it's actually quite good. But, you know, I, I am curious. Keegan Johnson almost has to be the up returner. He almost has to be. But, meh. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess we'll just kind of have to wait and see how Phil does as the kick returner. We've not really seen him do that. Um, he's been punt returner, which, spoiler alert, he is the punt returner. Yeah. And uh, so Keegan, maybe we'll see a few kicks go his way uh, a couple of times. Uh, remains to be seen, I guess, but I don't know. I, I was maybe hoping for a surprise here, I guess, honestly. I was hoping to see, like, Darrell Jones or Jacob Parrish here. But this, we just want to see Darrell Jones play, man. Yeah, I think Darrell Jones would... I I think he's athletic enough to play. He's just buried right now, yeah. uh, which is really unfortunate. But Phil is super, 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 super experienced as a returner, so not super worried there. 
Yep, and we already kind of talked about punt returners. Second line is Seth Porter. And that is the entire depth chart. So all in all, pretty solid. You know, we kind of talked through our thoughts as we went. So now all all it's needed to say is just we're excited for the game. Going to be a hot one. Yeah, it will be hot. Please drink water on Friday. Please drink water on Friday. Please, God. Do not wait until Saturday. Do not wait until Saturday. Do not drink exclusively beer on Saturday. You will die. (laughs) Yeah. Luckily, the game is at 6, so uh, at least a lot of people will be in the shade by then. I'm very sorry to the upper deck enjoyers. Uh, Have fun. I, I, I don't think that's... I don't think the have fun is good yeah. advice. I, I, I think the advice of don't die is better. <laughs> yeah. But that wraps up the actual news segment of this episode. Now we can get into the wacky segment of the week, which is everyone's favorite segment. By everyone, I mean ours. So, for this week's segment is say you're having a barbecue and you can pick one K-State player to man the grill. Who's manning the grill for you, Connor? That's easy for me. I'm saying Cooper Beebe. Um, I think linemen come built in with uh, excellent grilling abilities. With Cooper Beebe being the best lineman on the team, to me that implies he has the best grilling abilities. Uh, I think there's no doubt about that to me. Uh, I, and he also just looks the part of someone that can just... Of a good pit boss. Grill. A, yeah, he, he grill a really good burger, smoke some pulled pork or something. Uh, I, I bet he can make some real good brisket. I don't know. I, I, I have high expectations for Cooper BB as a uh, pit master, uh, but we'll wait and see. What you, What's yours, Ace? Who is running your tailgate? See, mine was actually equally easy, uh, and it more has to do with the parental lineage. That's Javon Banks. Oh, yeah. That's a good pick. Yeah, Javon Banks' father runs, I believe it's a food truck or some sort of restaurant that uh, makes grilled food. Um, I feel like that the transitive property applies there. And I feel like he's someone who would be pretty solid at manning a grill, you know, manning a barbecue pit, making sure everyone gets there. Gets uh, probably overfed because that's just the way it is in the South. I've been there several times, <laughs> uh, especially in Mississippi. They they will not stop. <laughs> they, they refuse to stop piling your plate. <laughs> but I, I feel like that's a, it's a pretty solid competition there, you know, Cooper Beebe, Javon Banks. Yeah, I, I think we'd probably see different types of food as well. Oh, yeah. Well. You'd see crawfish for Javon Banks, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, BB, I, I think we'd probably see some classic burgers and dogs, but maybe some ribs or something like that. Probably get a strip steak. Yeah, I, I bet we would. Uh, but I don't know. I have high hopes for both of those gentlemen. I, I would not be opposed to having either of those guys uh, cooking for my tailgate. I wouldn't. I say that like I have one. I don't have one. But we don't <laughs> have one. Maybe one year we'll have the official Hattieville Alley Cats tailgate. That, that could potentially be fun. Uh, but that is a, that's a ways away from happening. That is a very long ways away Many from happening. Many things have to happen before we can do that. Yeah. Unless someone wants to, like, I don't know, let us brand their tailgate for no money because we are poor. <laughs> yeah, I guess if it was a situation that was only beneficial to us in every way, then I guess we could do it. Ugh. <laughs> uh. You have any final thoughts, Connor? I'm super, super, super excited for football. I cannot wait. It's going to be agonizing going through the day on Saturday. Luckily, we have a lot of stuff that can fill the day up. And then, of course, there's that volleyball game the night before. Uh, So there's a lot of stuff going on to keep us occupied. Yep. I agree. That's all I'm going to say. 
So thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. If you want to follow or contact the show, you can follow us on Twitter, threads, or Instagram at AggievilleACats. If you want to email us, we're AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I'm at ACEdward00. I'm at Connor Balthazor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store. That's AggievilleAlleyCats.myspreadshop.com to buy such designs as the beautiful crew neck that Connor is currently wearing that no one can see, so I don't know why I even mentioned he was wearing it. And established Alley Cats and shame could have happened to anybody. We can post it on the Twitter. Yeah, we can do. It's very comfortable. It is very comfortable. I highly recommend it. And I have no personal stake in me doing that. (laughs) (laughs) But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.